HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, your hosts, Erica Wides. And um, <clears throat> I'm actually having, oh, here it is. Oh, thank God. I always email myself the episode and then I read it off my phone. And all of a sudden it disappeared, but there it is. Okay, anyway, let's start off today on an all new Let's Get Real. We need to start off today with my report, my report, my long overdue report from the International Sweets and Snacks Expo. Remember that? I went in May to the sugar shitstorm, as I'm calling it now, the sugar shitstorm in Chicago, because I was hoping to uncover some new magical, mythical unicorn answer to my snacking needs. I guess a week before I went, I did a whole show about my snacking needs. And I thought I could go to this show and find something. But uh, unfortunately, and as I really well suspected, not much turned up at the show. Remember, I was on my quest for my perfect snack, the perfect snack. Something other than like throwing a hard-boiled egg and a handful of almonds into my bag, which is, you know, like along the lines of what I would normally eat, but... You can't always just pull that, like, out of your backpack. The almonds, yeah, but the hard-boiled egg, I mean, you know, it has to be refrigerated. It's messy. It starts to smell. So I'm looking for something to replace that level of quality, real, proteiny food when I can't have just that quality, real, proteiny food. You know, when I can't just go in the kitchen and cook myself up an egg or something. 
So I went to the show with expectations. And what did I find at the show? Oh, so, so much candy. So much candy. I can't even like, I can't even explain how much candy there was. And the same old snacks and a few interesting things, but not really much. Now, I should have known. Now, I mean, I knew. I kind of knew, right? What I was going into, what I was heading into. I mean, this is an expo that for years has been called the Candy and Confectionery Show. And then just more recently, they changed the name to Sweets and Snacks. So I knew what I was getting into. There were some snacks. You know, there was a whole lot of variations on the chip, corn chips, potato chips, soy chips, all kinds of chips. There was a whole bunch of, you know, popcorn brands and a lot of nuts. So, so, so many nuts. I I can't believe how many businesses exist who just package nuts and sell them. I had no idea. Companies that just buy up nuts in bulk, repackage them, and then sell them as different brands, as different flavors, or even just as nuts. So many. I mean, how many different brands and vendors of packaged nuts do we need? How many can the market support? I was really surprised. I had no idea you could repackage nuts in so many ways. Now, there are also a couple of, um, like, quinoa-based snacks, and I may, we may investigate that at some point. And there were some bean-based chips that I actually buy sometimes because I sell them at Big Lots at a steep discount. But really, it was all about the candy. It was really about the candy, the massive corporate American candy industry, the mega corporate presence there of the candy industry was insane. Like the big candy makers like Mars and M&M's and Hershey had the biggest, most elaborate setups I have ever seen at a trade show. I mean, like they had like their own trade show within the trade show. Basically, they had like their own pavilions set up inside the McCormick Center, which I think is actually the largest trade show space in the country. Like these massive pavilions dedicated simply to their brands. Like there was like a 40-foot-high blow-up yellow M&M. It was huge. I was scared of it. And there were so, so, so many freebies and samples being handed out. People were taking their complimentary plastic shopping bag. You know, when you go to a trade show, you get your complimentary plastic bag when you pick up your badge for your samples. They were taking their bags, filling them up with samples, going out to the coat check area where they had suitcases, dumping the bags full of samples into the suitcases, coming back onto the trade show floor with the empty bags and refilling for more. Yeah, for more free stuff. I mean, if I actually ate candy in any amount, I could have had at least a six-month supply of free full-size candy bars, gum, and Tic Tacs just from what was being handed out in the press lounge alone, not even on the expo floor. It was crazy. It was like professional trick-or-treating as paid work for adults. Like if these people actually, that was their job, were paying you to go trick-or-treating at the show, go. That's what they were doing. These were adults who took their jobs very seriously, too. Maybe they were being paid by the pound. I don't know. I won't make a fat joke there. So there were also a whole bunch of variations on the, like, pressed-together nut-dried fruit seed and sticky sweetener bar category, like a Lara bar or a Kind bar. You know, nuts-dried fruit, sticky sweetener, pressed-together-in-a-bar kind of bar. 
so many versions of those. And I like those kinds of bars, you know, if I've just hiked for three hours up a steep mountain. But they're mostly too sweet and too sugary for me. Savory, people. Savory. That's what I'm looking for. Savory, not sweet. Like food. That's what I want. Savory. Now, there is a brand of bars called Epic. And they're made from meat, stuff like bison and turkey. They're not sweet. And they were there at the show. And I had once tried an Epic lamb bar and while lamb is my favorite meat of all the meats i believe that i mentioned it previously and i called that lamb bar a dog treat for a dog that you hate okay but i now retract that statement because even though the lamb one is gross i tried their other flavors and they're actually really good so epic bars are something i can get behind they're okay in the same way that the multiple variations on jerky are okay too. But they still don't solve the problem of the perfect snack. They're still not what I want. I don't necessarily want meat as my perfect snack. We all eat too much meat. I don't want to eat too much meat. I like meat. I eat small amounts of meat. Jack and I were just talking about not eating meat. I'm no vegetarian, but I'm also no paleo diehard CrossFit junkie. Okay. Now, although I do work out pretty hard, and I totally support the production and eating of good, sustainably raised, grass-fed meat. We still eat too much meat in general. I'm not looking for a meat bar, okay? And you think those statistics about almonds and water usage are scary? How about cattle production and water usage? Yeah, check out those numbers. I'm not going to give them to you here because I'm sure plenty of other people talk about them. But, okay, let's just say uh, a lot of water. No, the perfect snack for me isn't a variation on the kind bar. It's not nuts and dates in a sticky wrapper. It's not dehydrated bison and cranberries in a human pet snack form. If I could invent it, and I've said it before, it would be made from a different protein. Like maybe a chewy form of dry Greek yogurt or drier Greek yogurt. It has to be goat yogurt, not cow, because goats have a smaller carbon footprint and they taste better. It would be a layer of that. So think of like a dense, like, yogurt marshmallow, right? With a thick layer of maybe like spinach jerky in there and maybe a layer of chia seeds. And yeah, maybe some nuts too, because I love nuts and I eat a lot of nuts. But I don't want an entire bar based on nuts. And then maybe add a thin layer of dried apricot puree too, just like for some tanginess, but not sweetened. Oh, and then wrap the whole thing up in a sheet of crispy nori and put sesame seeds on top. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. That's the dream bar. That's it. It's not that unrealistic, is it? I mean, I'm sure some snack food industry R&D chef in a lab somewhere in New Jersey can tinker with yogurt enough to make me the chewy yogurt marshmallow that I want my bar based. So if you know anyone who works in that field, I used to know people who did that. I don't really know them anymore. But if you know someone like that, get them to get in touch with me. I will be here in the fallout shelter waiting for my perfect snack. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're done with the perfect snack conversation. We're moving on to dust. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cookie show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. Did you know this is episode 
131 of Let's Get Real. That's a lot. That's up there. Just saying. Okay, so I know I said we're done with talking about the snacks, but um, I have more to say. So I'm still working my way through my bag of swag that I brought home from the snack show, even though I was quite judicious and did not take much at all compared to the other people, mostly because I was flying on Spirit Airlines. And if you carry anything with you larger than a little like paper lunch bag, they'll charge you $300 at the airport for your baggage. And you know me. That's unacceptable. So I was very judicious with what I picked up. And I'm happy to report that I took almost no candy at all. Now, it was a kind of like, it was an amazing exercise in self-control. Because even though I rage against sugar, I do kind of like candy too. I mean, I am only human. It was sort of like an alcoholic being forced to board a plane going through the duty-free shop booze display. Like you can't avoid it and the prices are so good. It was kind of like that for me. But I I was good. I took a few pieces of the little really good chocolate from the really good chocolate companies who were carrying way, way, way far back because their tables were hundreds and hundreds of yards away from the giant 40-foot yellow M&M guy and the giant M&M pavilion. I took a bunch of different jerky products. I like jerky. Some bags of nut mixes, one I just shared with Jack, one of which I just shared with Jack. And I took, oh, you'll love this, some very tasty pumpkin spice, spiced pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin spice flavor, spiced pumpkin seeds. I don't, I I can't even really say it. Pumpkin spice flavored spiced pumpkin seeds. They were quite tasty. And you know, I do love my Jelly Belly brand jelly beans, right? That's like my one little thing. And they, oh my God, have a presence at these shows. Their pavilion was huge. And they were handing out little bags of their new flavors based on the new Star Wars movie. All these different berry flavors. I don't think berries grow in space, by the way. But these were like sparkly blue something Star Wars. I took them. I ate them. They were good. I had to take some of those. And I, but I think that that name, Sweets and Snacks Show, is misleading because it wasn't sweets and snacks. It was like 80% candy, 20% snacks, and 15% of those snacks are nuts. Okay, so where's the snack in that? Now, next month is the Fancy Food Show here in New York. Uh-huh, the Fancy Food Show. And I got a press pass to that one, too. Woo! for free and I don't have to fly anywhere and stay in a hotel so yeah I can just take the subway and I am going to that because I love that show now that show is all about food and fancy food at that (laughs) so maybe I'll continue the snack quest there I'll see what I turn up you know big chunks of prosciutto blobs of goat cheese on a stick I don't know We'll see. But that show, that show is more up my alley. Now, a few days after my return from Chicago, from the Sweets and Snacks show, an email pops up in my inbox, as so many do, with the subject line, get ready for real food ingredients. Well, I thought, you know, lay it on me. I'm always ready for real food ingredients. Talk to me. Tell me what you got. Especially after the sugar shit show that I had just immersed myself in for two days. So I opened the email, and this email was from one of the many, many food companies and ingredient suppliers and industry affiliates who email you or whose email lists you wind up on after you register for things like trade shows. You suddenly start getting emails from all kinds of companies and industry suppliers and ingredient makers and PR people. Nobody you ever really want to talk to, but they want to talk to you. Now, this email was from a company that uh, they're in Missouri, and they make 
chicken products. Okay, chicken products. Now, when I say chicken products, what do you first think of? Like, oh, you know, nuggets, patties, chicken stock, maybe, chicken? Uh, no. These guys don't make nuggets or patties or chicken stock or even IQF chicken parts. Internet. Internet. (laughs) IQF means individually quick frozen. No. These guys make stuff like powdered chicken stock base. You know, like miners chicken stock base. But they're not miners. I'm not saying their name. And they make freeze-dried chicken fat powder for enriching you're cooking. I've seen people use that freeze-dried chicken fat powder for enriching, you know, your institutional hospital-type cuisine and your hotel and your airline food. It basically, like, adds, like, chicken flavor to your bad food. But what they were taking the time to email me about, their real food ingredient that they wanted me to get ready for was chicken protein powder. Okay, not like chicken stock powder or chicken fat powder. Chicken protein powder. So what is that? Is it like dehydrated meat or is the protein extracted and then like what? It's a little too abstract for me. Get ready indeed for what? Dehydrated powdered chicken meat dust? I guess so. They say it's for use as an additive to your processed food products. Because, you know, we've got a whole, like, factory down here in the fallout shelter, like a little lab where we make processed food products to increase the protein level in them. Of course, because everybody has gone insane about getting enough protein. Americans are nut jobs about protein, even though most Americans get more than double the protein they need on a given day. Without even really trying. But the food industry has latched on to this belief that we need hundreds and hundreds of grams of protein every day. And so they've started adding it to all sorts of enhanced foodiness products where it doesn't even belong, like cereals and drinks and bottled water and cookies and I don't even know what else. Added protein to things. So I ask you this. Is chicken powder... A real food ingredient? The email said, get ready for real food ingredients. Okay, chicken dust powder. Is that a real food ingredient? Chicken is real food. You know, if you dry it out into chicken jerky, I guess it's still real food. That's processed, right? You cook it, still real food. Jerky, still real food. Boil it up in a soup. But is chicken powder dust or chicken dust powder real food or a real food ingredient? I, I don't know. Um, This is just, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I don't know. But something is not right about this to me. There's a distasteful quality about it. There's a creepiness about it. It's too far removed from the actual animal. It's like transglutaminase, which is meat glue, which is like protein that's extracted from beef during like processing of like ground beef. And they dehydrate that and turn it into a powder and use it as meat glue to glue together like those endless long beef tenderloins that they slice in like cheap buffets in Vegas. They patch together parts. Like if you buy like a big packaged turkey breast, it's a bunch of turkey breasts actually glued together with meat glue. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're calling it meat glue. They're not calling it something else. So that's okay. But this, this chicken dust powder, chicken powder dust, it's too far removed for me from the actual animal. It's too much of a... 
a blatant disregarding of the fact that the chicken was a living, breathing, feathered bird before it was dehydrated. Well, before it was killed and cooked and dehydrated and powdered and then put into a vacuum sealed pouch. You know what? It's too much like Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Basically, the, the cornerstone of Let's Get Real. The idea behind foodiness, Soylent Green. Soylent Green is chicken. Or am I overreacting to this? Is, it not, am, is this not such a big deal? Is this just me? Do I need to just let go and let dust? I don't know. I don't know. This one has me thinking a lot. The email said, get ready for real food ingredients. I'm ready for real food ingredients. But... They don't need to tell me to be because I so am already. But in my mind, and call me crazy, okay, call me crazy, real food ingredients have recognizable shapes, forms, smells, colors, and flavors, right? You recognize a drumstick of chicken as a piece of chicken. You recognize a piece of broccoli as a piece of broccoli. Recognizable shapes, forms, smells, flavors, a 50-gallon drum of chicken dust from whence once came chicken? Mm, I'm not sure. But suddenly dust is everywhere. Or more specifically, not dust, but powders. Powdered foods, food dusts. They're floating in like, oh, I don't know, like dust in the wind, perhaps. But, you know, not like the sappy song by Kansas that I would listen to in seventh grade when I was feeling sort of moody and existential. No, more scary than that. Much more scary than that. The company that makes it recommends it as an additive to drinks. Drinks, like chicken powder smoothies. Drinks. Oh, let's enhance our smoothie with some chicken dust or to like meatloafy things as a binder or a protein booster. And they have all these other recommendations of what to add it to, but I can't remember them. Now, I suppose if I were eating at, you know, Alinea, in Chicago or the now defunct WD-50 here in New York, you know, one of those temples of modernist cuisine. And something was served to me that had the addition of or that highlighted the use of chicken powder. I'd be expected to ooh and ah and say, oh, how genius you are and how cutting edge and how modernist it all is, right? But at least in those restaurants, I'd know that they'd have dehydrated and powdered the chicken there, or at least I'm assuming, and serving it all in good faith to me as that, chicken powder. Like, oh, here's our play on chicken and waffles with chicken dust and waffle foam spumoni. You know, like that. Not as, an, not as like an additive, like a secret additive to bump up the protein in some other preparation of other poor quality products to enhance the numbers on the label. That's what I mean. I don't know. I mean, wasn't it Joni Mitchell who said that we're all just stardust, right? I thought it was Carl Sagan, but he said we are all star stuff. Star stuff doesn't work. It's stardust. We are stardust, Right. Made from molecules that came from the Big Bang. We're all just stardust. And to stardust we return eventually, right? So if we're just dust, and chicken dust is just dust made from the same molecules as us, then is it okay for us to eat dust? Even chicken dust? I don't know. Not all dust is bad. You should see my house. I'm okay with dust. Dust is just us, you know? It's basically just like skin. Ugh. Skin and, you know, schmutz. 
I mean, and not all dust is bad, food-wise, culinarily speaking. Spices are dust, chili powder, sugar, salt, dusts. You know, veggie booty chips covered in dust. Back in the 90s when I worked in restaurants and we would make different color pastas because it was the 90s, we used spinach dust and we used beet dust to color different pastas. It's just dehydration, which humans have used, you know, to preserve their food since forever, since way before refrigeration, since we found the first wild berry dried up on a vine and we tasted it and it was good, or the first fish flopped itself accidentally onto shore and got stuck there in the blazing sun and dried out and someone came along, picked it up and ate it. All you're doing is removing water from food and making it eternally edible. If I made my own dehydrated chicken jerky and then I ground it up to dust, is it still food? I guess my problem is in the enhancement realm. Enhanced. I'm going to get my cheekbones enhanced. Adding it to poor quality or lesser quality food to pump it up. To sort of fake us out. It's deceptive. It seems deceptive. It's exactly what foodiness really is all about. The deception, the masquerade, the swap out and the fake out. Chicken isn't even really considered an animal by the USDA anymore. It's so removed from its like animal origins. So how far are we from rebranding it as something else? This dust doesn't have to be called chicken dust anymore because chickens aren't really animals. And then we can put that dust on products that then won't require it to be labeled as containing chicken dust. It'll get some new name in the way that gelatin, which comes from pigs, actually isn't considered an animal product because it's so removed from the animal. And then we can give it a new name, something like pro powder or hyperdust. The same way that the food industry, oh, look, just renamed high fructose corn syrup to calling it just fructose, hoping that big, dumb, soda-guzzling Americans won't notice or maybe just won't care. Hey, Bubba, it has fructose in it. That's some fruit, right? Yeah, great. It's real good for us. This blue dingleberry-flavored 80-ounce Slurpee, it's just made from fruit. That's America. Just rename, rebrand, respin, and hope no one notices. Mm. Now, for a long time, during the previous several fat phobic decades, which I have mercifully moved past and I work my hardest every day to get other people to move past and get beyond their fear of fat and disregard all that old information. But for a long time during that era, I wouldn't eat mayonnaise. So stupid. I wouldn't eat mayonnaise. I was warned just like everyone else who bought into the fat fear that mayo was bad, 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 along with butter and whole milk and eggs and chicken skin, that it would make you drop dead at 40 of a heart attack. So, for years, no mayo for me. Now, I loved mayo as a kid. My sister claims that I used to just eat mayonnaise sandwiches, but that is so not true. They weren't mayonnaise sandwiches, okay? They were American cheese and mayonnaise sandwiches. So, let's just get our facts straight here, okay, Jude? But I loved mayo when I, when I was a kid, and when I taught culinary school all those years, I supervised the making of thousands of bowls of mayo and aioli, which I would taste. So I'm happy to say that I've re-embraced the mayo again into my life. Mayo is welcome back into my life. It's so good and so simple and so brilliant and delicious and adds so much to food. And while I love, you know, a good homemade mayo that I make myself from my good pastured eggs and my good olive oil and garlic, and mm, aren't we fancy, I don't really get around to making it that often, and I don't really want to eat the industrially produced mayo either. You know, the you-know-who with the blue ribbon on the label. Now, a few years back, that company... Okay, Hellman's. I mean, 
like I don't mention brand names here. What am I doing? Hellman's ran an ad a few years ago where they tried to jump on the artisanal local bandwagon. And they ran this TV ad about Mayo where they were showing farms and beautiful tomatoes and happy, healthy people. And they talked about how Hellman's was made from local eggs. Wait a minute. What? Huh? Local to where? I mean, everything is local to the place, you know, where from whence it came. I used whence twice in the show today, by the way. I don't know from whence the whence came. Now, that line is total foodiness bullshit. Local eggs. You know, like there's some farmer down the road from the Unilever plant in Newark, and he's picking up eggs every day in a little wicker basket and dropping them off at the back door of the mayonnaise factory. Local eggs, my ass. Local eggs. Of course you can say they're local eggs because they're local to wherever they're made. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's foodiness hyperspin. But since I like mayo again, but I don't want to eat the industrial mayo... And the other option would be the, I'm sorry, but all too precious artisanal mayo made in Brooklyn for $9 a jar made in my neighborhood that I just can't bring myself to buy. I mean, sorry, Brooklyn, you have gone off the deep end with this one. They even have a store that just sells mayo. Now, I wish I had been ballsy enough to foresee a market for $9 a jar artisan mayo, but I didn't. Okay, so I'm not buying it because I'm resentful and I'm cheap. But what I am buying speaking of dust or powder, is mayo, called Just Mayo, made by this company, Hampton Creek. Very good company. We like them. Now, Just Mayo makes mayonnaise, but they avoid the whole egg issue altogether, and they use a pea protein powder to emulsify the mayo instead of eggs. So this pea protein, it's extracted from green peas, and it has emulsifying properties, and they use it to make their mayo. Now, of course, I have no problem with eggs if they're good, pastured, local eggs. Those are the eggs I eat. But this way, they avoid having to source eggs altogether for their mayo. It can be sold to vegans, too, and to people with egg allergies. See? All good. Now, I tried their mayo at last year's Fancy Food Show, and I loved it. It was so good. You don't miss the egg at all. And now, that's what I eat. And Hampton Creek. Oh, would you be interested in sponsoring my show, possibly? That would be so nice. We'll talk. So, of course, this begs the question. Is pea protein powder foodiness or foodiness dust? Is it as bad as the chicken dust? I don't know. I don't think so. Powder dehydrated peas somehow aren't as scary or Orwellian or Soylent Green-like to me as chicken dust. There's something a little more straightforward to me about powdered peas than powdered chicken. Uh, Maybe it's just my own squeamishness. And the raising and processing of the peas is so much less of a polluting process. So I'm good with it. Yes to pea dust, I say. Two big thumbs up to pea dust. Two big thumbs down to chicken dust. Now, finally, today, in our ashes to ashes, dust to foodiness dust theme is the latest version of the infantilization of America's eating habits, which you know is one of my favorite topics, as if Captain Crunch crusted fried icing-filled donut balls being sold at Taco Bell is not enough. Taco Bell, we're looking at you. Taco Bell, who just announced they're removing all the artificial colorings and preservatives and ingredients from their food, except for their Captain Crunch crusted deep-fried icing-filled donut balls, because, oh, sorry, we can't source the Captain Crunch from anywhere but from the Captain's factory 
So, oh, and the Doritos Loco. I think it's the captain's chamber. Oh, sorry. <laughs> also, I wanted to jump in and say, do you know that Taco Bell's selling alcohol now as well? I did hear that. It's crazy. Well, because Chipotle sells alcohol, too. Sure. Everyone wants to be Chipotle. <laughs> oh, talk. You know, I've never eaten at Taco Bell ever in my life. You're better off for Never. It. Or Pizza Hut. Never. I'm proud of it. Anyway, in the latest version of the infantilization of America's eating habits, as if... I just love saying it. Captain Crunch crusted fried, deep fried dough balls stuffed with icing isn't enough. Taco Bell. There's a growing trend now amongst American drunks, basically, to attempt amelioration of their hangovers by drinking Pedialyte. Pedialyte. So Pedialyte is this liquid solution that's sold for parents to feed to infants and toddlers who have diarrhea who would otherwise die of dehydration because they can't get them to drink anything or eat anything. It's like one of those hospital, you know, rehydration solutions, but Pedialyte is, you know, like pink and flavored like strawberry lemonade. Pedialyte to me is one of those gateway drug foodiness products for so-called picky kids, though, because people feed it to their kids who won't eat and their panicky parents are afraid to try to make them eat and they're afraid they're going to starve to death or dehydrate, so they give them the Pedialyte. It's like Ensure. That's like the old people version of it. Ensure. It's gateway food in this drug. Anyway, Pedialyte is not technically a powder or a dust, but in my mind, it's made from one. It's a pre-mixed sugar salt solution designed, as I said, to rehydrate babies and toddlers with diarrhea, who otherwise, you know, might die. It's basically sugar and salt in water. It's like what hospitals give you if you're dehydrated. It's like an IV, but instead colored blue and pink and flavored like strawberry lemonade or, you know, blue snozberry and sold really as Gatorade for babies. Gatorade for babies. And how many kids do I see walking around with these giant bottles of blue Gatorade sucking it down? Like, what did that kid just do? Like, run an, like a Ironman triathlon and now he needs to be rehydrated? What did that kid do other than, like, walk from the SUV, you know, to, like, the front yard? He needs to be drinking Gatorade. But anyway, now overindulging adults, overindulge as in alcohol, adults are guzzling down the Pedialyte as a hangover antidote, a hangover cure. So if you overdid it on the cotton candy margaritas at the last frat party and you woke up in a pool of your own blue vomit feeling like shit, now you can toast your hangover with a tasty lemonade-flavored Pedialyte and get the party started all over again the next night. Yeah. So that's the latest in the infantilization of the American palate, is that we are now drinking a solution designed for diarrheic infants to combat hangovers. That is, of course, unless you drink yourself into a coma first and die. And then you return to stardust and we're done with you and that's probably okay. So that's it. The end. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. Me, Erica White, your host. Follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. I'm also on Instagram now. Who knew? We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.